This is a presentation of the Christmas Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Christmas Clatter, the monthly podcast that discusses Christmas news, entertainment, gifts, decorating, and everything that makes Christmas special. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Christmas Clatter Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Clatter Podcast. Email us at christmasclatterpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at christmasclatterpodcast.com. Call or text at 573-290-2477. If you leave a voicemail, remember, it may be used in the future episode. As you heard at the beginning of the podcast, Christmas Clatter has joined a wonderful group of Christmas-loving podcasts. Please head over to christmaspodcastnetwork.com for a full list of those podcasts that have joined together. So many wonderful people and podcasts, and I'm so proud to be a part of the Christmas Podcast Network. I'm also happy to announce that christmasclatterpodcast.com has an active website now. You can go there, find all the shows. All the show notes, news, and everything like that. It'd be a one-stop shop for links and the show notes because posting that kind of thing on social media, sometimes it get lo- it gets lost down in the feed and it gets buried and people are on at different times may have missed it. So if we have photos from like our most wonderful talent of the month and things like that, those will be available on the website for everybody to find easily and to enjoy as well as any relevant links for each episode and a little bit of a spoiler alert there will be plenty of links for this episode for you guys to check out speaking of news feeds Dwayne bailey from tinsel tunes podcast and i have each made our very own list of 50 favorite christmas songs we numbered them one through 50 and we are putting them head to head on facebook we put up a poll a day song versus song you guys vote for your favorite song and the podcast with the fewest points at the end of the Christmas Song Countdown Showdown will have to sing the other's number one Christmas song and post it on Facebook for everybody to enjoy. There's something in it for you guys as well. Head on over to Facebook, like Tinsel Tunes Podcast page, like Christmas Clatters Podcast page, and every time you vote in the Christmas Song Countdown Showdown, you will receive one entry into a giveaway for a $50 gift card to your choice of iTunes or Amazon. Now pay attention to the whole posts because randomly there'll be ways to receive more entries into the giveaway. That giveaway will be held on the 23rd of December and the video of the losing podcast host singing will be posted on the 23rd or 24th of December. I can't, I should have wrote that down. I can't remember which one, but it'd be right in there and we'll let you guys know plenty ahead of time. Speaking of winners and contests and giveaways, for the past few months I had have a giveaway going and the way you get entry is to leave a five-star review and let me know that you had and I put you in a giveaway for a Christmas Freddy Funko figure and a Christmas Charlie Brown Funko Pop and a $25 gift card to Amazon. The other night I put all the names into a randomizer, rolled some dice, got number 11, I randomized the list 11 times. And the number one name that was on top of the list and the winner. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. Oh, oh, uh. Drrrr. 
Art Kilmer. Art, congratulations on winning this prize pack, and I'll be contacting you shortly to get all that mailed out to you. And thanks for all those that left reviews. And from here through Christmas, for anybody that leaves me a review on iTunes, I guess it's Apple Podcasts now, or on Facebook, please let me know. Send me your address, and I will send you a Christmas card with a podcast sticker. Let's move on to our Christmas conversation. I was uh, joined by Theron Georges. He has a book, the Evergreen book, about the aluminum Christmas tree. It's a quite delightful book. I enjoyed it immensely. I was able to sit down and, and talk with Theron a little bit about the Evergreen book. And here's my discussion with Theron about the Evergreen book and Evergreen Christmas trees. Theron, thanks for joining us here on Christmas Clatter. It's a it's a pleasure to talk with you, and it was a it's a real pleasure to read your book, uh, The Evergleam, uh, 60th anniversary. Um, if you could just tell me a little bit about how you got into the Evergleam Christmas trees. Sure, absolutely. Uh-huh. So, growing up as a kid, actually probably a bit late in the late 1970s, maybe early 80s, when they were already passe and out of fashion, my mom and dad in San Antonio, Texas, had an aluminum Christmas tree that by then had been relegated to our rec room. So the adults had a real um, green live Christmas tree, Uh but the kids had this old 1960s silver aluminum Christmas tree. Well, long story short, I never forgot that tree. I used to hang out and I'd lay down on the floor with my head resting beneath the bows of the tree uh-huh. while it spun on a mechanical rotating um, stand. And the color wheel shone its beautiful lights up into it. And I was mesmerized, just in love. Uh-huh. I never forgot that tree. So basically, that was the start of my love of Evergleam aluminum Christmas trees. Oh, that's fantastic. I've always known about them. Um, I was I was born in the in '77, so they they were gone by the time I was even at, you know knew about them. I would always hear my mom talk about them. I guess she had one growing up, and she never cared for it. I think it was pink, if I remember yeah. correctly. I I think it was a pink one because um, yeah. she always ta- she always talked about this pink Christmas tree, or or if I remember correctly, I could be, I could be wrong. I I really need to clarify that with her. I've seen them here and there, and I've always I've never loved them, but I've always wanted one because sure. they're so, to me they're so cool. I, um, and there's such a part of that time and that culture and all that mid-century stuff. It seems to be rolling back in the, in the style. Um, have you noticed that uh, they've become more and more desirable, or they or people still rather keep them at arm's length? No, absolutely. Um, like all things, they come and go, as you mentioned. Um, Aluminum Christmas trees were most popular in the United States from their introduction in 1959. Mm -hmm. And then by about the end of the season in 1965, they were out of style. Mm -hmm. In the 70s, they were considered what my friend Johnny Shimon calls good, bad taste. (laughs) And then they went away. They just completely disappeared. And then suddenly 
in about oh, 2004 or so, John Shimon and Julie Lindemann, who are two artists from Wisconsin, wrote a wonderful picture book called mm-hmm. Seasons Gleanings. And at that time, I believe personally that we saw a slow but very steady renaissance of the aluminum Christmas tree. And now, 2019, 15 years later, they are back. You used to be able to buy them for 50 cents, a dollar at a bargain basement type place, maybe the Goodwill, um, the Salvation Army, a secondhand store. But if you want the goods that are good on eBay these days and you find a very rare or pristine model, um, open your wallet. Oh, really? Wow. Well, that's good. That's good to hear because they do offer something that a, a lot of people struggle with just with the regular Christmas tree. And that's if you don't light it well enough, it's dark. It has dark spots in it. And, and I'm always taking, you know, when I decorate my trees, I always take a step back and make sure there's no dark spots and brighter is better. And they definitely solve that problem. What was the thing that set someone out to start this aluminum, uh, Christmas tree was it just the the age age of the space race and all that or is there certainly yep the um the space age and mid-century modern design actually have everything to do with it but to put them in a broad context before we be specific you know consider that we've come out of world war ii in this case victorious um the average american maybe not every american but the average american was doing very well it was a prosperous time aluminum was a new um it was a new raw material it was affordable it was easily malleable it could be done with many many things yes the space race was coming about um, as early as 1955 or so. But the long story short is Americans were really primed for something new. Um, and this just hit the market at the right time in 1959. And the first year of its introduction, it was very successful. But by 1960, it was so successful that the product actually morphed a little bit. And all of the competitors of the original introducer, if you will, to the mass market got on the bandwagon and it just exploded. It was a huge phenomenon. Are there, are there anybody making these brand new or if you want to, if you want to find one, you have to, you have to dig on eBay to find one. Yep. That's a, that's a great, great question. The answer to the question is no, nobody is truly manufacturing an aluminum Christmas tree today. Yes, if you go to your favorite hardware store or favorite craft store around the corner, there is a look-alike silver tree. But please understand that what you're looking at is an engineered plastic. It um, It is not truly an aluminum Christmas tree. If all you want is the look, then fine, more power to you. But if you want the real deal, you either need to get an authentic aluminum Christmas tree that was manufactured between 55 or 59, I'm sorry, and 71, or for a brief, brief moment in time, about 15 years ago, a company in North Dakota called Yuletide Expressions 
started manufacturing them, but they only did so for about five years. It's a defunct company, but you can still find new old stock trees available on eBay. They're wonderful. They took everything that the original manufacturers did and upped the ante and made them 100% better. But as I said, they're defunct, so you're lucky if you find one. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's one thing I love about, about the book. Uh, for our listeners, uh, Th- Theron was kind enough to send me a copy of the Evergreen book. And the thing I love about it is not only is there sto- the story of the Evergreen in there, but it's, it's also a handbook. So if you run across an, an Evergleam at a yard sale or anything, you can thumb through through the book itself and and probably find it and know what you need to know about it from how many lights and tips are on there, uh, the item number. And the thing I really liked is for each tree in there, he listed some some Christmas songs to go with it to, to enhance your experience. And there there's some trees in there. They have so much character, some that have like the little bows on the end of the tips and things like that. It's like, that's the stuff you can't, you can't just manufacture anymore in a, in a mass way that that character is lost. So that's, that's one of the valuable things uh, about this Evergreen book is it's, it's not only an interesting book as far as the history and the story, but it's also a handbook in case you decide to get into them or if you want to find one or, Maybe your grandma or your parents had one and you want to find it again for their memory. You can find out exactly which one it was and, and hunt it down from there. Um, how long of a passion project does this take, did this take you? <laughs> so I, I bought my first tree, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It was a happenstance thing. My sister and I were driving downtown San Antonio, our hometown, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. There happened to be one in a picture window of um, a Salvation Army. We whipped the car around, went in there, bought it, and as it turned out, it happened to be a six-foot Evergleam straight needle, one of the most common models, Mm -hmm. with a uh, color wheel, which is called the Deluxe Turbo Projector. So that was really the beginning of it. Um, Then when John and Julie published their book in 2004, um, I say this in in the friendliest of ways because I'm friends with Johnny now, Mm -hmm. but um, I regretted it wasn't me. Oh, yeah. Look, Mm -hmm. but that was the beginning. So 15 years ago, then I started collecting for real. And as I collected, I started cataloging. I started... um, spreadsheets with prices, average prices for different types. Um, And I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to write a book about this. About 10 years ago, a tree came up for sale, a very common tree I know now. And I contacted the seller kindly and I asked him, can you tell me what is meant by the word fountain when you see it printed on a box end? And he told me, in all of my years of collecting Evergleam aluminum Christmas trees, I've never seen the word fountain on a box end. Well, as we know now, that's a bunch of uh, hooey because fountain is the most common tree they really ever produced. But that was the aha moment when I said, somebody's got to set this straight. Right. So. Right. Yeah. In in the collector's world, there has to be a... a, uh a gatekeeper of the information or, or then things just get misconstrued and, and things. And, and you've done that with this book. 
uh, I set this book out after I read it. I, I loved it because it was such an easy to read and I lay it down and it, it's got a beautiful cover on it. It just invites people to pick it up. What I did is I set it on my kitchen table. At our house, the kitchen table is kind of the hub of everyday life. And my mother-in-law was over and she saw it and she picked it up and thumbed through it and read it. She started talking about the, the Evergleams from when she was a kid and, you know, different aunts and uncles that had one. And that, that was cool. But then that spurred more conversation about Christmases when she was a kid. And, and my wife heard stories that she hadn't heard before about mom's, her mom's Christmases was when she was a kid. And, and we just sat there and, and she reminisced. And it was all spurred because of this book was sitting there and it sparked some memories. And I, and I just want to encourage people to, to go to the website and to buy a copy and to, to, to leave it out this Christmas, this holiday season, because that was a, a, a great experience for our family that was just spurred on by this book laying there and being available for someone to, to read and to look through. And I, I want to thank you for that. That was a, that was a, a fun experience for our family. Well, thank you. Yes, sir. There's absolutely a lot of nostalgia associated with it. Mm-hmm. And people of a certain age um, will remember when their mother and father may have had one of these at their homes. But what's more interesting to me is that a generation born in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s who obviously weren't around when they were first produced are absolutely discovering and in love with them again. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yes, it is great. I, I could promise you this, the next one I see for sale that, that I can afford, I will be getting one to add to my Christmas collection and I will find a corner in my house to put it up every year because I don't, I don't know how what the most rare one is or not, but just even the most common ones, this the character and the, that they have is a definite addition. And, Absolutely. Uh, just between you and I and, and for your general audience, um, the rare trees are great and, and collectors certainly love them. But bear in mind, as you may have seen in the book, that 85% of the Christmas trees that were produced by all of the manufacturers were in the most common color silver it's not prohibitively expensive to find a nice two, four-foot silver aluminum Christmas tree still in great condition. And I guess my wish is that if you want to have an aluminum Christmas tree, I hope you find the one that you want. You don't have to spend a terrible amount of money on them, but um, just love it, and it'll bring so much joy to you for your Christmas season. Farron, thanks. uh Thanks for joining me here on Christmas Clatter. And uh, what's your social media and your website for everybody? It is uh, www.evergleambook.com. My Instagram is evergleam underscore book. And I have a Facebook page called The Evergleam Book. Come visit us. All right. For, everybody, for all our listeners, all those links will be in the show notes of the podcast. And they will also be on our brand new website, christmasclatterpodcast.com. Thanks so much, Theron. Thank you, Todd. Theron, it was so much fun to talk to you about the Evergleam Christmas tree. It's something that I still don't know a whole lot about, but I'm definitely learning more and more every day, thumbing through the book, looking through the book. Definitely been keeping my eye out for on sales just to see what the prices are going for because I have a sneaky suspicion this time next year I'm probably going to have one to put up in my house somewhere. So please head on over to evergleambook.com and support Theron. 
my recommendation doesn't come lightly. I want to make sure that anything that comes across the podcast, I feel 100% is worth your guys' time. But if you'd like to, if you're interested, head to evergleanbook.com and check them out. And the links will be in the show notes and on the website, christmasclatterpodcast.com. Now it's time for a Christmas memory. There I was on a mid-December afternoon. School was out for the day and was finishing up for Christmas vacation later that week. I was bebopping around the house bored. However, growing up, you never announced that you were bored or a list of undesirable chores would fall in your lap to cure you from your boredom. Afternoon cartoons hadn't even started up yet. Even if they had, I'd still have to wait for my mom to finish the current episode of The Guiding Light, a show she burned up three VCRs recording daily before the DVR era. Could I play Nintendo? Nah, Guiding Light again. We only had one TV. So I laid in the living room floor next to our Christmas tree, lit with the C7 bulbs strung through the middle and the mini bulbs strung through the outside to half-heartedly watch to see if Reva and Josh were back together again or to see what diabolical plot the Spalding family was planning. There on the floor I had an idea, a divine inspiration. I flipped from lying on my stomach with my head in my hands to lying flat on my back. I bit my knees and scooted myself across the floor, bit my knees and scooted again, bit my knees and scooted again, and I kept this process up inching closer and closer to the Christmas tree until my head was completely under the tree. Looking up through the branches and through all those shiny bowl ornaments reflecting those colorful C7s, it was a Christmas kaleidoscope. Christmas magic, really. I went from lying there bored to lying there mesmerized. Just goes to show you that a change in perspective can help change your situation. So the next time when you get a chance, stick your head back under the Christmas tree and look up and remember things aren't always as they seem. I was reminded of doing that the first time when I was a kid, probably eight or nine years old. A few days ago, my wife told me that our our youngest girl, she is soon to be seven, she caught her laying in the living room with her head under the Christmas tree looking up while it was lit. And I was like, oh, I remember those days. And then Theron mentioned he did the same thing uh, when he was a kid. So uh, I'm sure that's pretty common for kids to do. And I just had to do it again the other day, being reminded of that, get, get my head stuck back under the Christmas tree and look up and through it. Not quite as mesmerizing sometimes with the artificial trees as it was with the real tree like I had when I was a kid, but... And it's still just as enjoyable as it was then, especially when the kids do it with you. Let's move on to our most wonderful talent of the month. It's the most wonderful talent of the month. They'll be comedians for joking, narrators for narrating, artists putting on a show. It's the most wonderful talent of the month. It's the most wonderful talent of the month. There'll be instruments of playing and carolers singing all the songs that we know. It's the most wonderful talent. It's the most wonderful talent. It's the most wonderful talent. 
This month's talent goes to Kyle R. Bullock. He wrote a book, fictional book, called Mr. Christmas. He wrote it for his wife, and it was such a good book, he decided to publish it. And it is such a wonderful book. I've been through it and enjoyed it immensely and had to reach out to him about it because I enjoyed it so much. So Kyle was kind enough to share the first two chapters with the Christmas Clatter listeners. And if you listen to the first two chapters and you're you're interested in it, head on over to kylerbullock.com slash Mr. Christmas, spell out Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R, and uh, support him. He has made a special offer for Christmas Clatter listeners. If you scroll down at kylerbullock.com slash Mr. Christmas and choose book plus audiobook, it's fifteen ninety nine. But if you enter the promo code Clatter, C-L-A-T-T-E-R, the book and the audiobook will be just $10. So let's take a listen to the first couple chapters of Kyle R. Bullock's Mr. Christmas. Mr. Christmas by Kyle R. Bullock For Devin, my Mrs. Christmas Chapter 1 This is the story of how a crazy old guy who thought he was Santa Claus changed my life forever. As a heads up, this story will not contain flying reindeer or elves or any of that magical nonsense. There is nothing mystical about this guy or this story or any of its characters, so don't get the impression that I'm about to tell you something crazy or ridiculous. In fact, let me just give away the ending right now. Everyone comes to their senses and realizes this guy isn't Santa Claus and that he didn't come with reindeer or elves or any of that. Okay, that was my disclaimer. I feel like I can go on now. My name is Ryan, and if you can't tell, I've been a bit jaded and cynical about the whole Christmas thing and my life in general. And that's changing for me. I'm working on some uh, personal stuff right now, and that's due in large part to Nick, but I'll get to that later. First, let's talk about me. I'm a bit of a jerk. I didn't used to be this way. I used to be a real nice stand-up guy. I was a grade-A student growing up and a member of the church choir. My wife, rather, my ex-wife and I, were very popular amongst our peers. We got invited to all the Christmas parties and functions. We had picturesque Christmas cards that we mailed out every year, the kind where we hired a professional photographer to make us look younger and slimmer than we actually were. This is going on the fridge of everyone we know for at least the next six weeks, she would say. Please try to make your smile look real. I wasn't the biggest fan of Christmas, if you didn't already guess. She sometimes had a drag to cheer right out of me. But still, to my point, she was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Then I went and threw it all away on a whim. Well, it wasn't a whim. It was more of a growing dissatisfaction with my life and myself. My spiral started small, and it went crazy big. What started as me wanting more me time ended up in an affair and a divorce within a year's time. Oh, and to add to my royal mistake, it was an affair with someone in my office, someone higher up and more valuable than me. So I got fired promptly, which was just great. I then spent the next 43 days looking for work at any neighboring firm that would give me the time of day. 
In all, I went to seven job interviews and I got told no eight times, which should qualify as some sort of record if they give those out to losers like me. The last guy who tossed me out was very droll and annoyed that I was back in his office begging for a job. Mr. Connor, your resume looks right, but your references... About that, I, I, I can explain, I started. It's not something we feel will mesh with our culture here. I, I, I can mesh, I promise. I'm like a chameleon. I, I'll blend in. You won't even notice me. Once again, we aren't interested. Oh, come on, please. The guy looked past me to his assistant who sat in the corner. Can we get him out of here? And that is what led me to sitting in a bar down the street for my latest interview on September 27th, drinking my third beer at four in the afternoon. I had just received my eighth no, and I wanted to be anywhere but my dingy apartment. The tie around my neck hung loose and low, ripped from my collar like my hope for this job. An old friend of mine, Laura, she owned the bar, and she didn't mind me sulking with my beverage at the front. It was a small bar, tucked away in between a couple of crummy office buildings a few blocks from downtown. The beer was cheap and the company wasn't neat, which served my purpose as well. Laura kept herself busy at the bar, taking inventory and occasionally peered over her readers to give me a hint of pity. I, I didn't care. I didn't even pay attention to her, nor the gentleman who walked into the otherwise empty bar and headed straight for the counter. Laura and this guy talked in a tone too low to eavesdrop. She looked confused and glanced over at me and then nodded her head to the man. The guy shook hands and marched cheerfully over to my booth at the front. He appeared to be in his late 50s, uh, early 60s, with a dark complexion. He had the classic friar tuck old ball guy thing going for him and a short, well-maintained beard. What hair he had was speckled with bits of white. His smile was kind and comforting, and his eyes were small, round, and bright hazel in color. He had a pooch for a stomach, but he wasn't fat. He was dressed in khakis, a red button-up shirt with a tan jacket draped over his meager frame. Hi, are you Ryan Connors? Call me Nick, he said, extending his hand out to me eagerly. Uh, hello? I know this might seem a bit out of the blue and all, but I would like to offer you a job. I perked up at this. Sure, he was a total stranger approaching me, a washed-up, white-collar loser with a job offer for who knows what. But money is money, and money was scarce. So I said, You want to offer me a job? I do. He sat down across from me, uninvited, I might add. He still had a glowing, warm smile beaming across his face. Your temp agency told me about you, and I had to talk to you first thing. They told me... They had sent you to a firm downtown. Uh, So I went there, and you had already left, they said. Uh, But but the door guy said he saw you head into here. I hope I didn't catch you at a bad time. uh, I've seen better days. You want me for a job? Yes, I think you'll be very suited for it. What, uh, What job? Nick coughed and politely covered his mouth and sat up at attention. He reached into his jacket pocket and pulled out a manila envelope. He fiddled with the catch of the envelope as he spoke. You were in finance, yes? A degree in business management, I'm told? Yeah, seven years at my last job. 
started there after college. I need someone to manage my factory for the next three months. It's only a temporary position, but it will compensate you well, and it will be rewarding work, I promise. At this point, Laura leaned on the counter, drawing a little closer to us so she could overhear. I didn't mind. Nick went on. I just got here. Drove up two weeks ago from Texas. I knew this is where I wanted to start my business from the word go. Already have a warehouse, parts and tools are on order and are being delivered any day now. We can be up and going by the end of the first week of October, which is good because we have a lot of work to do. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I must have missed it, uh, Nick. What are we making? Toys. (laughs) Classic toys. That's my specialty. Not the things that link up with phones and computers and all that. I do handcrafted toys for little kids all the way to adults. Of course, Christmas will be here in a few weeks, and we are right in time to get things out by then. Uh, How big is your company? How many people? Right now? You and me, provided you accept my offer. You mean you want to start a handcrafted toy company, and you don't have any hands to make them? You have no one to make toys? Not yet. That's where you come in. I want you to help me hire, manage, and produce handcrafted toys in time for Christmas deliveries. Okay, well, what do your orders look like? (laughs) My orders? Yeah, what stores are buying them? What quantities? What's the delivery like on them? Oh, oh, I see. I'm sorry, I I didn't understand at first. I, I don't have any orders. At this, Laura stood straight up at the bar and gave her full attention to our conversation. I slid my drink to the side of the table and leaned forward in my seat incredulously. (laughs) You have no employees, no orders. You just got tools in a warehouse, and you want to make toys for Christmas? With no orders. He just nodded. Then what exactly are you doing, I asked. He chuckled and patted his stomach happily, coughing intermittently. He looked over to Laura as if to include her in the conversation. Why, I'm making toys for Christmas. For the kids on Christmas Eve. That is when it hit me like a ton of bricks. The only job offer made to me in over a month and a half, the only glimmer of hope, was with a crazy person. I think Laura put the pieces together at the same time, and we both looked at each other and back at this man. Very funny, I said to him. Toys for Christmas? Your name is Nick. My God, you're wearing a red shirt. This is hilarious. Very funny. You know, I actually had a little hope for a second, but you know what? Thanks for dashing them to pieces again. Two times in one day. I think that's pretty great. I took another swig of my drink and leaned back in my chair. No, it's not a joke. I'm quite serious about this. He was stroking his beard. This really annoyed me. If anything, he was committed to the part. Look, you want to play Santa Claus? Go ring a bell for charity, but please leave me alone. But I told you I would pay you handsomely. I said, leave me alone. Nick opened the manila envelope and slid it across the table. Stuffed inside, I could see the ends of $100 bills. I will pay you $5,000 a month for the next three months. That is a $1,000 signing bonus in cash. All yours, no strings attached. If you say yes. And if you come to the warehouse and don't like it, you can quit any time. No harm, 
and no foul. It had been a long time since I had seen a $100 bill. It had also been a long time since I had felt wanted for anything. I looked over to Laura, who just stood there as dumbfounded as I was. Give me a chance to show you the warehouse and what we'll be doing, please. You seriously want to play Santa Claus? For real? Well, if not me, then who? He promptly got up with his manila envelope, scribbled an address down on a nearby napkin, and glided out the door with a pep in his step. What do you think? I asked Laura. She just laughed. A thousand bucks for a tour of a metal building? That'll buy you a lot of beer around here. Well, she had a point. Chapter 2 I showed up to the warehouse located in a pretty unsavory part of town. The neighborhood was not well-maintained or cared for. It was the kind of place that police cruisers patrol every hour. The warehouse itself, it was tucked back behind a chain-link fence. The entry gate was wide open. Weeds were poking through the cracks in the asphalt, and a real estate sign hung out front reading, Under Contract. I felt pretty out of place. I dressed up in a button-up, slacks, and a light jacket. I don't know why, it was clearly not the kind of place for smart business dress. Maybe I was still insecure about being out of work, and I really needed the money. Anyways, I walked through the door of the warehouse and discovered, to my surprise, that a lot of love had been given to the inside. The main floor was outfitted with a long assembly line tables, and the floor itself was swept squeaky clean. Boxes of supplies lined the walls, wood, paint, nails, screws, that kind of thing. Towards the back, on the second level, was a manager's office with a great big window that peered out over the production floor. The blinds were drawn back, revealing an empty office. I was expecting to see Nick somewhere in there, but I should have known better. Underneath the office, in stacks of boxes, I heard grunting and shuffling. Nick was unpacking supplies and taking inventory with a battered old clipboard. He must have heard me shuffle in because he stopped and bounded toward me with surprising joy in his step. Ryan Connors, you made it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you're on board. I reassured him I was just sniffing things out, but honestly, I was desperate for the money. I was actually just relieved to see he wasn't smuggling drugs or wild animals through his business. I didn't need that kind of stress. Nick patted my back and led me around the floor, showing me the assembly line where the workers would put together the products. He showed me the concept art and the blueprints for different toy designs that we'd be creating, and he showed me where I would be officing, in the second floor manager suite. So what do you want me to be doing, exactly? I asked. He gave me a stack of bills that needed paying in a ledger. I was to be the financial manager and bookkeeper and all things administrative. And uh, what will you be doing? I asked. He smiled and responded simply, Making toys. Of course, he had no intention of making all the toys himself. He would create, design, and have a hand in quality control of the product. To do it right, we would need a workforce to pull their weight, which is where things get a little hairy. Nick hadn't exactly come to town with a herd of elves to do his work. Is it a herd of elves? Is it a pack of elves? A gaggle? I don't, I don't know. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Simply put, there was a lot of work to be done and no one to do it. I'm looking at your workload here, Nick, and I'm guessing you'll need a dozen or so hired hands to get it done in time. I mean, This is a great time of year to get seasonal help, but 
we need to have a workforce ready to go like yesterday. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm already ahead of you on it. I went door to door in the neighborhood and handed out help-wanted invitations. Help-wanted invitations? Yes, yes, I wanted the neighborhood to feel a part of this project. I've already budgeted salaries and compensation, a general handbook, and, well, here's what I've put together. He handed me a packet with numbers and data and spreadsheets. Nick, no offense, but this neighborhood isn't exactly, well, I'm not sure you're going to get the caliber of people you want working here. Nick looked confused at me. What kind of caliber do you think I need? I think you'd want people that you can trust and who will show up on time. I mean, people who you can, you know, count on. I can't count on these people? Look, Nick, I'll be blunt. I don't think you'll want people working for you who probably shoot up drugs on the weekend and don't want to work in the first place. Besides, I'd be surprised if any of them show up for an interview. I mean, we're not talking about the cream of the crop here, man. Nick gave me a forced half-smile and scratched his belly, kindly looking past me and my insensitivity to the four candidates who had just walked through the door behind me. I turned around, seeing their beat-down faces staring back at me quietly. No telling how long they had been there or how much they had heard. I just wanted to throw up, but I decided I had disgusted them enough. Ryan, I think your candidates are ready to be interviewed. As Nick said this, another young man came in through the main entrance and got in line. I nodded, took their names, and waved the first one into my new office upstairs and felt as small as a bug on a rug. I'll skip right to it. In all that day, I interviewed 12 people. 13 if you count a young man who was so desperate for a job that he came back an hour later to see if I had made a decision. Come on, sir. I'll start today. Seriously, I'm ready, he said anxiously. I I know, kid, but give me the night to think on it. Seriously, sir, I'm ready to start. I need a job so my mom can stop griping at me. Please, man. I hired him first, right there on the spot, in part just to get him to leave me alone, but it felt right. His name was Trey. He was 17. He always came to work dressed in baggy shorts or jeans and a sports jersey hanging loosely around his thin frame. He talked a lot, and it took him a while to get some of the toys out right, but he stayed late, and he worked hard to learn. He was also always first to get his paycheck. It was probably the first honest paycheck in his life. As for hiring the rest, I took the night to sleep on it. We would need more help, and all the help we could get, but I didn't want to make a snap judgment and regret it. Of the 12 people who showed up that first day, I hired 11 to work in the assembly line on the floor. The 12th guy was not all there to begin with. He came in dressed in dirty, worn clothing, reeking of body odor. You could tell he wasn't all there either. No, Nick, we can't hire him, I said. I could tell he wanted to. Nick had that jolly look in his eye. Why on earth can't we? Nick, he's a liability. What do you mean, a liability? We can't trust him. What if he freaks out on us? He could cause damage or, I don't know, hurt somebody. I mean, what if he... And what if he is an angel in disguise or a descendant of royalty? What if he wants to give you a million dollars? What if he is really crazy? What if, what if, what if, what 
if stopped the greatest men and women in the world from entering the history books because they sat on their hands, petrified. Here is a noble thought. What if we could make a jolly fat man in a red suit real for some people this year? Wouldn't that be something? He said all this with the most annoyingly pleasant smile, and he patted me on the back as he left the room. I sighed and rolled my eyes. I ended up giving Harry a few bucks to let him mop the floors and sweep the offices an hour every day. Truth be told, he was fine. He mostly kept to himself and he mumbled a lot, but he wouldn't hurt a fly. And I suppose having him keep the floor clean inside a warm building was better than having him on the cold streets. As for the others I hired, I can't remember all their names. I can, however, remember all of their faces. There were a few that stuck out. There was Harriet. She was in her early 30s, single mother of two. She was always the first to the door each morning, sometimes before even I got there. She came right after she had dropped her kids off at school and left as soon as she could to pick them up. Harriet had the steadfast determination about her that actually intimidated me, to be honest. Like, she would walk a thousand miles over a hot asphalt to make sure that she and her kids were taken care of. She was a great worker, always put out the best toys. And I can't forget about Dwayne. He was a tall, dark, serious man in his late 50s. He was thin, often wore an old, tired polo tucked into tattered pants, and he had a thick black mustache. You could tell he had really had some pain in his life. You could just see it from the look in his eyes. I rarely heard him say more than a few words each day. Wanda and Casey were our resident peanut gallery, a couple of feisty 70-year-olds who came in a package deal, even insisted on being interviewed together. I remember watching them talk over each other in the interview. Wanda kicked it off. Casey and I have been friends forever. Forever. When we saw the flyer for this job opening, we just had to do it. We've got gifts to buy for the grandkids. Yes, and Social Security hardly pays the bills. Oh, please. I couldn't feed a fat tick on what they give me. Casey, now let's not go there right now. Why not, Wanda? This young man should know. Ain't nothing good come out of the government, and I ain't afraid to say it, no matter what the young man's political inclinations are. They are all a load of airheads. Now, Casey, you might be right, but don't go digging a hole for yourself before we even start working. They went on like that for 15 minutes. All I said was, hello, sit down. Beyond these colorful characters was a rotating menagerie of faces. We fired a few people who would steal things, I mean, little things like cleaning supplies or baubles from the line. After they got sacked, Nick insisted on getting their address and going to their house afterward with a care package of food and cleaning supplies. He never stopped me from firing anyone, and there weren't that many, but I could tell it crushed him. A few faces left on their own. A couple just didn't show up to work, and others just got tired of the work, I guess, and just walked off the line. Nick never enforced a dress code, and he never kept track of hours. He let the workers come in and go as they needed, which drove me bonkers trying to keep up with the timesheets and the payroll. He greeted everyone each morning with a big box of donuts or cup of coffee and a bright smile. Then he would jump on the line and start showing the group which toy they were making and how to do it. In the afternoon, he would pop his head into my office door and ask, How's that Christmas spirit, Ryan? Fine. I'd tell him, and I'd dig my head back into my desk. 
He would then motion to the office window that looked out over the floor and say, Don't forget to look out every once in a while and remember there's life on the other side. I would nod and give him a forced smile. This interaction was pretty regular in the beginning until eventually I just had to ask him, What's your game here, Nick? Huh? (laughs) He stammered out a deep, heavy cough. I could tell it hurt, but I continued anyways. The Santa act is real cute, making all these toys for people, but the money's going to run out, and it's clear that you're not worried about that. (laughs) I wish I had this much money to blow. From what I can tell, you'll be broke by the end of the year, and you're clearly not worried. So what is your game here, Nick? Why are we really doing this? No one is this benevolent. He just smiled and stared out towards the workers on the floor, busy in their toy-making. There's life out there, Ryan. (coughs) Oh, don't ever forget that. (laughs) Well, get that cough looked at, I shouted as he scurried off to his little elves downstairs. Nick was a good man. I admired his heart. Unfortunately, for the city government and a number of very irate business owners, a good heart wasn't enough to run a business at Christmas. I just love the way this audiobook was done. It's not just a guy reading, but it's more like a production, like a radio serial or listening to a play. Again, I just really enjoyed this book. I thought it'd be worth your time, worth your while, just like the Evergreen book. So if you guys are interested in seeing what happens, how it ends up, head over to kylerbullock.com slash Mr. Christmas. Enter that promo code CLATTER at checkout for the book and the audio book for just $10. Thank you so much for listening to Christmas Clatter. Please join us on Facebook and Instagram at Christmas Clatter Podcast. On Twitter at Clatter Podcast. Email us at Christmas Clatter Podcast at gmail.com. Text, leave a voicemail at 573-290-2477. Visit us online at ChristmasClatterPodcast.com. Please rate and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever all great podcasts are found. And remember, keep Christmas hope alive every day.